0: Yep, I said it before and I'll say it again.
1: That scene, that last
0: scene. What does it mean? I'm the dude, you know? Get the fuck out of here. No, I cannot. It's over. Go home. That final scene starts
2: now. Portions of the following ABC special program have been pre-recorded. This is the Plaza of the Music Center in Los Angeles, California. Where these crowds have been gathering since early morning to watch the arrival of Hollywood's most glamorous stars for tonight's ceremony. Like lovely Elizabeth Taylor in Silk Chiffon over Arnell Georgette. Art Carney, winner of an Oscar last year for Tonto and Me. Glamorous Jennifer O'Neill, Margot Hemingway wearing red and white portrail, matte jersey. George Burns, best supporting
0: actor, Sunshine Boy.
3: Oh, and look. There goes Simon Haynes in a dashing dinner
0: jacket. <laughs> but enough of the red carpet. It's the last final anyone. scene. <laughs> Oscar prediction special. Please welcome your host Sophie and two men called Simon.
2: Wow! Welcome to that final scene. The podcast where we explore the most iconic final scenes in movie history. I'm your host Sophie, uh, joined by my co-host Simon. Hello. Ben wasn't able to join us today because he's been dealing with a very nasty cove. So it's a shame because you won't be able to represent Ireland today. However, we have someone else very special joining us today. On this episode, please welcome the incredible, talented Simon Haynes. Simon is laughing. <laughs> Simon is laughing. <sighs> he's next to me. He's like, Simon <throat> Haynes. <throat> no, no, no. <laughs> I, I feel like you were probably like quite, uh, I don't know, like surprised by the intro. I
3: love just... the intro. The intro is great. Full marks and effort. And also I've got to comment that you're in a sort of Simon sandwich. Here. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that is true. Elephant in the room. I have both Simons next to me. I think we need to come up with some sort of convention mm. in terms of how I'm going to refer to you for do the Do you have a nickname that you'd you like, like to go,
3: to go be by? Simon too? We,
2: yeah. we could do Simon P, Simon H.
3: Call me whatever you like, Sophie.
2: Okay. Cool. So, Simon, I mean... By
1: the way, that intro, the 1976 That's Oscars, what I was going to
2: ask. Yeah, tell us more about...
1: So the big films that year were Jaws, which cleaned up, mm-hmm. and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which mm-hmm. also cleaned up.
2: When you say cleaned up, wow. you mean Best like, Picture?
1: One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest got Best Actor, Jack Nicholson, mm-hmm. Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Screenplay. Wow.
2: wow.
1: And then Jaws won Best Editing best sound mixing, and best score.
2: Interesting. Okay, well, today we're actually going to be talking about Oscar predictions. So we thought it would be great to have someone on the podcast who can actually act (laughs) and tell us a thing or two about the craft of acting so they can help us shape our predictions for the Academy show We are also recording this on the 17th of February, so we don't know the BAFTA winners yet. That's this Sunday. So if you hear us talking about them like we've been living under a rock, this is why. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. All right. So let's take off a quick intro. Simon H., what would you like our listeners to know about you? Like, how would you describe yourself?
3: I guess professionally, I describe myself as an actor, and also writer, director, and producer—just as many of the job titles as I can.
2: <laughs> I mean, I'm, I mean that sounds very hard to me. <laughs> so, I mean, for for context, Simon and I met at. A, Rain dance Halloween party mm. almost two years ago. Yeah, yeah, you were... you were
3: dressed as Kerry Mulligan in what's the film called
2: Promising oh, yeah. Young Woman you. Promising Cassie, Young Woman. and yeah. you were dressed as Harry Potter.
3: <laughs> <was> Harry Potter, <laughs> <laughs> you, I think you, you won first prize, didn't you? I you did. put a lot of effort into I that.
2: Did. I did, I invested in it like every single year. I invest heavily into a Halloween costume. I don't know why, don't ask.
3: But... Whereas I was wearing sort of my blackout blind. As my
2: cloak. <laughs> <laughs> however i've also seen you act you know yes. you do you remember i saw you in that theater production for straight white men oh, no,
3: no, i was so embarrassed because i Why? went out to the bar afterwards and I, I usually just pop my head out and check that i haven't got anyone in that i wasn't expecting and i was like <laughs> great no one's in so i went off to another opening night of a show that i'd helped cast have a drink with them. Oh dear, oh dear. So oh, unprofessional.
2: Oh
0: my, oh my God. I not have these actors on. I'm going to be edited out back? of this. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, anyway, and then it turns out there was a QA, and a and you were in the Q&A with Jimmy and I was so embarrassed. But
1: What, because it was like you were having to bear all in front of people that Well, I didn't meet. go to the q and I oh. ducked out of the
3: Q&A because I hate doing them. Yeah. And um, and then i forgot. I totally <laughs> forgotten that Sophie and Jimmy were coming. To that show to see it, but she's forgiven me, and I'm still here in her beautiful.
1: What? So flat. you ran off, so, left yeah. your mates at the Q and A that you didn't even god. attend.
2: Didn't he didn't even know. Even know. That's he didn't even remember actually. But uh, I mean, it was the Q was fine. It, it would have been better with with you. Three stars. Now, like we have quite a few people coming to us saying, "Oh my god, I don't need to spend 20 minutes on Netflix anymore because I." Come to your podcast because I know you Mm. can recommend a good film or a good show, and that's it. And I don't have to waste like 20 minutes every single day to find something decent on Netflix. Now, I'm not going to be very helpful this week because I haven't seen anything remotely interesting, Mm. but I was going to, yeah, pass it over to you guys. Can I I butt in,
3: Sophie, though, and say how much I'm enjoying your? It was originally a film a day challenge.
2: It's going, yeah, it's still going.
3: It's so great seeing your reviews on your stories each day. And generally, it's so helpful going like, great, I won't watch that. Oh, I need to watch that. I'm loving it. How's oh, it going? thank you.
2: It's going well. I I found what this means is that I get to watch less TV, like mm. less TV shows. Because I can do one film a day mm. after work. But that means I'm very behind on every mm. single, you know, show that
3: so, I'm watching. So maybe say next I'm... year, one series a day or
2: something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would be insane. I thought you are going
1: to say, I'm very behind on my washing, my <laughs> dishwashing. My, mean,
2: my, my oh. personal hygiene
3: is so bad. Yeah. <laughs> <That's>,
2: <laughs> if you're walking from home, that's so easy to do. And especially when you're on your own. So like, I do laundry, like, you know, when I'm between emails. Oh, you know oh, what I okay. mean? Like, it's so easy for me. So I'm quite privileged in that sense. But yeah, I usually do my uh, film a day after work. That said, sometimes what I found, which I know some of our listeners have said it's uh, it's quite helpful as a different way of experiencing a film. What's interesting in the morning? Mm. That C- can said, we submit ideas? Oh, you? of course. Okay. Yeah, please. Like, if yeah. you're listening, no, 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 no. please send recommendations, even though because following the news of Bruce Willis's dementia, I've been contemplating going through his filmography mm. for the next couple of weeks. And I'm sure he's done a bunch of, you know, like bad stuff, but also like I was thinking we could do the sixth sense for our next episode, mm. Pulp Fiction, Die Hard, like it's just done so many incredible films. So I think this is how I'm going to approach it from now on, because I think when you're focusing on a certain actor or director, you get a lot more context in terms of like, oh, these are the decisions this person made Mm. in their career. So,
1: Well, speaking of expert script selection in a career, I've been focusing on Arnold Schwarzenegger's Canon. (laughs) (laughs) And I watched uh, Commando, which is uh, pretty deep. I really, really enjoyed it. (laughs) It's like a massive guilty pleasure. No shame. there's one liners such as this.
2: Remember, Sally, when I promised
1: to kill you last?
0: That's right, made dude. you did!
1: I lied.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then also very deep moments such as this.
0: Fuck you, asshole. <laughs> Fuck you, asshole. <laughs> what a
1: bird. I mean, I want to. Can, can you do an honest fortune I guess <laughs>
2: Yeah, I
3: mean. What's that line? He says, you need to get to the chopper or something? We need to
1: get to the chopper.
3: We we, we need to get to the. No, I can't.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so Um, I watched
1: Commando and I I find it so funny. But the, the reason why I brought it up is that um, I discovered that someone on YouTube has made a musical of Commando and it's wow. exquisite <laughs> and I've got
3: it here. You know the two of
1: us, we are the closest um, living out here, Jenny and me putting okay. ice cream on each other's
2: nose. This is going go to go straight to our show notes. Jenny
3: and me... We were going to build a normal
2: life here. A carefree existence of laughter and play. But General Kirby, he fed them right to us. And then the bastards took her away.
1: It's so well edited. John, it's your old friend. Bennett, I thought you were dead. Not true, John. <laughs> if you it's want like your opera. dope,
3: I'm you'd better nice
1: play mom. along. <laughs> Fuck you, John. There
3: are Bennett, some great yes, Arnie films. Is it Junior? And Emma Thompson is one in one of them as well, which I had no idea wow. One of them, he's, um, if I'm remembering this right, to be honest, I'm probably mixing up seven different Arnie <laughs> yeah. cheesy comedies. Easy but in them. one, he's pregnant.
1: Oh, yes. <gasps> that's, that's with Danny DeVito. Yeah. That's right. with Danny DeVito. Okay, Davido. and then there's yeah. one called
3: Twins with yes, Danny DeVito. that's right. Is it Twins? Yes,
1: yeah, yeah.
3: Is it? Okay. I mean, does he, I think he's a, a fun comic actor. This is based on me watching mm. them as a child, so probably yeah. no. Because <laughs> I wanted to different?
1: ask you, like... The reason why I think mm. he's really interesting is because you could easily write him off as like as, as a slate of vacuous mm. films. But actually, the script selection looks quite strategic to me. Is that a big thing that you think about as an actor in terms of like when you're picking projects, if you even get the chance to pick them?
3: I think you're spot on with what you say about when or if you get the chance to pick work. I've definitely said no to things, but certainly when you're at the stage that Arnie was at after, was it Conan? Was that his first big
1: thing? Oh, Conan the Barbarian.
3: Yeah. Ben Kingsley, when he won the Oscar for Gandhi, he said he got 300 plus scripts Hmm. sent to him in the year after as offers. And he chose to do one of them, Hmm. which was a play about... Uh, an actor who I can't remember the name of. Maybe it was Garrick or Keane or something like that. And it was by a first time writer that had been sent in. So he was very selective. I think Jeremy Irons, on the other hand, after um, Lolita, do you remember mm-hmm. Lolita, where he plays a paedophile mm. who was sort of led to empathize with? That's sort of the setup of the film, at least as I understood it. Um, and he found he had a sort of, you know, the opposite, where no one wanted to touch it <laughs> yeah. because it was like, I was that creepy, you know. Kitty fiddler. Um, so, yeah, I think it depends on where you're at and what stage you are. But, yeah, it's, you know, it's no is one of the big things that we've got as an actor in terms of control over our career. And, um, yeah, I, having a good team around you, I think, is, you know, he's not going to be making those decisions on his own. You know, he's But in the managers. early days, wouldn't he, though? Like- no, because he's got agents, he's got managers oh, okay. who are saying to him, look, you've been offered this, but don't. I mean, I know some horror stories about agents where they've, withheld information from the client about oh, no. things they've been offered
1: so the actor doesn't even know that that's on the table yeah
3: i know, i i can't i can't give details but i know stories about big actors where they've then remet the director at a party and the director said oh it's such a shame you couldn't do this and the actor's like what do you mean the actor wasn't even told by the agent they were offered the lead role in this thing but um yeah well, there's actors like Ian McKellen who i know i think i've heard him say he never wants to do the same thing twice And so he's pretty, um, he's a little bit coy about it, but he was offered Dumbledore, basically, Mm. after already having played Gandalf. Mm. Um, He says that his agent got a call and it was like, Harry Potter, want to offer you something? Are you interested? And this was just after Richard Harris had died. He was like, well, there's only really one elderly (laughs) man available. (laughs) Uh, And he said no to it. And he says that the reason he said no is partly because Richard Harris didn't think much of him as an actor. Mm. he'd sort of been quite publicly rude about him saying, you know, Ian McKellen's a bit of a hack or whatever. Wow. But I think also for him, it was a thing of like, well, I've already done one wizard, you know, <laughs> time for something else. So, i had enough yeah. of this
1: elven behaviour. <laughs> so what have you been yeah. perusing recently? Oh,
3: you know what? Well, I've been watching a lot of Oscar films because when Sophie and I oh, first nice. chatted about me being here, I was like, right, I'm going to watch as much. as I-. I, I've tried to, but then um, then I've been super busy um, which is sort of amazing. Uh, there's some stuff that I'm... something that I'm directing and producing that is in prep. Something that I uh, produced and acted in, which has been going out to festivals and has been winning awards, I must oh. say, which has you been say quite what exciting. Is? Yeah, I was going to say, oh. Like, oh, what, thing... what can
2: you share, can you share oh, with
3: Oh, yeah, us? I, made a, I can share it with you. Yeah, It's um, this little film called Dance With Me that we shot. It was sort of just as we were coming out of the pandemic and we shot it in, like, an afternoon... It was really sort of like, let's just make something. And we did. And then the very first thing we entered it for, it won. And then it went and screened at Rain Dance and a really rough cut. And so now we're sending it out to um, festivals and stuff. So that's been sort of quite satisfying. Uh, And I've also been um, working on this project, which I can't talk about at the moment, which is very, very exciting, but it's super top secret. (laughs) (laughs) One day, hopefully in the next couple of years, I'll be able to tell you what it is. So I haven't been able to watch as many films as I wanted to. However, I think there's one that I've got to give a shout out to, Mm -hmm. which I watched sort of recently called Our Father, The Devil, or, Mm. ready for my French, Mon Père, Le Diable. So it's a French-language film, but made by an incredible um, American filmmaker, Ellie Fumby. Disclaimer, who is a friend of mine. Um, However, this film You know, you know the Indie Spirit Awards. Yeah. So it's uh, the the nominees for best feature this year. So the Spirit
2: Awards are the equivalent of Oscars for indie films. Exactly.
3: And so now I'm going to read you a list of independent films: Bones and All.
2: Yeah. Everything,
3: everywhere, all at once. Mm -hmm. Tar. Women talking. And then Our Father, the Devil. So it's this incredible, right? Anyway, so when it comes out. I uh, I can't remember what Ellie said to me about distribution lately, so I won't, I won't talk to that. But when it's out, Our Father the Devil is sort of my one to watch. It, it premiered at Venice um, or had a screening in Venice in an early cut. Incredible film. It's a sort of revenge story. It's set after uh, a civil war in an African nation that isn't specified in the film. I think it's Guinea. And then years later, this young woman who's been a child soldier is working as a chef in uh, like a nursing home. And then uh, a new priest comes to sort of talk to the old people and she instantly recognises that this guy is the commander Mm. of the child soldiers when she was there um, and that he had obviously committed loads of atrocities, including towards her. And so she's faced with this dilemma about what does she do. And it's incredible, incredible... Performance is an amazing film. So watch that. But then in terms of TV, uh me mm. and my girlfriend watched Broadchurch season oh, one recently. Shabbit. Which is <laughs> apparently can't... is a decade old. I
2: which... I've
1: never watched the Broadchurch oh, you,
3: you haven't. haven't? Oh. Is it a period drama? No, to... it's not.
2: Uh, I mean, I do, no, is that it's not on ITV. It's yeah, ITV, yeah. ITV. It?
3: It's David Tennant and it's Olivia Coleman, who I remember being a total revelation at the time to me. I knew her from Mitchell and yeah. Web Look, where she was doing like on Number Wang and sort of doing the silly whatever. And I think she might have done Tyrannosaur before peep, peep this. Peep show. Peep show, of course. Um, but she, I think, I still think this is her best performance mm. ever because it's a beautiful mix of comedy and it's also really grounded and and um we haven't had what i call the olivia coleman fatigue which i sort of got because i think she says somewhere that she just would say yes to everything because she was terrified she'd never work again and so it was a thing of like okay it's olivia again i've you know i've seen this already but Broadchurch, it just blew me away is there anything
1: that she can't pull off she see everything she turns her hand to it's
2: I've never Excellent. seen, yeah, I've never seen her anything that feels off to me. Mm. Uh, well, I've been hearing mixed reviews about Empire of Light, but I don't mm. know if that's her. Maybe we'll talk like, about
3: it later. But I think yeah. she's, I think she's fantastic. Maybe she's just, she's great. I think the yeah. film
2: itself doesn't work quite well from mm. what I've heard from people. Mm. But yes, yeah, she's she's just great. But you're mm. right, like she's one of those rare actors that can pull drama and comedy quite equally. Mm.
3: And oh. she's apparently one of those incredible actors that a lot of us are envious of where it's like the job for her is to not cry. <laughs> she has to work really hard to not cry. Apparently when she was in the Crown playing Queen Elizabeth, they had, it was like cut cut Olivia, you can't cry. <laughs> and I don't know if this is true, but I think she said that she had to like have a little earpiece and listen to the shipping forecast, the radio for like boring <laughs> details Bring her about out Liz- of it. yeah, so that she wouldn't cry so she sort of zone okay. out a bit as Liz. Aww. And then That's the other cool. thing is Happy Valley.
1: Wow. Well, I was hoping so I haven't seen okay. this, but
2: okay. we need to We're talk about high. this because I like someone mm-hmm. I mean maybe Simon, like you mm. need to bring me up to date with what's going on because I am pretty sure I've seen two episodes. No, no sorry, two seasons
3: ah, of Happy Valley. Okay.
2: What happened? Did it take like a very long break? I and
1: think it, came it back? did. I think it did. Because yeah, I watched one when I was like a teenager. Or I was something. gonna
2: like, say I, like, I, I watched two seasons when I was back in Greece. Yeah, and that yeah. was Six years ago. I think it's a long time. So it came back now. For I think I think four? it's come back. Okay. They The
3: actors look slightly older.
2: Right.
3: Um. And I think they've gone and had different careers and done different things and come back to it, but. I didn't watch any of it. And then my mates have been raving about it. It's been all over Twitter. So we thought we would give a try to episode one and- Episode honestly, one, like season episode one.
2: Episode, episode one,
3: season one. Yeah. And honestly, we didn't like it.
2: Whoa. We
3: thought it was a bit obvious, but we, you know, we didn't love it. And then there was a moment at the end of the first episode where suddenly the plot gets going. Mm. And actually the situation I think is, is really gripping. Um, and that really elevates it so far. Um, but maybe it's one of those things where it's a slow build, or maybe it's just not for me because honestly, it's super intense.
2: So the latest episode. So mm. sorry, the latest season is it season three or four? I, I
3: guess season three. Have you I'm caught not up sure. to
2: the very finale? No. Okay. I, so I, I you don't only seen... think
3: we're going to keep watching because I just oh. think we found it a bit like, oh my god, this is basically a young woman is kidnapped yeah. and held hostage, and one of the guys holding a hostage is someone who's who's a rapist mm. and it's just it's a lot it's mm. a lot to watch for me so i think we're going to watch something fun instead
2: i have a feeling because yeah happy valley did it come back uh, with its final season I, I i'm i reckon has no connection to the previous seasons oh really because, i thought it all carried on well it came back 10 years later I mean, I don't know. I
1: presume Happy Valley was one you know, big it, story.
2: It's definitely well,
3: two, The two leads are the same.
2: The, yeah, the two leads are the same, but the last season was at least six years ago when mm. you know I was still in Greece because I remember that. So it could be like a different story, like same you know detectives mm. and everything, but. I oh, so don't it's think not there's, so
1: the story, it's not like, what, how do they handle time? In it it's then? like
2: Luther. Well, maybe like they came back or they're still active on duty. I don't know what's the story. So I, I am going to watch it because you're right. Like Simon, like I've seen so much chatter about Twitter and how it's been incredible. Mm. So I'm curious to see that. But at the same time, yeah, it's it's tricky because when it comes to TV, I think you need the perfect, at least I do, Need a balance between super difficult, creeping, mm-hmm. you know, even traumatic television. Like I can do that much easier compared to films. But then I think you need your your casual, like guilty pleasures sort of show, like Dairy Girl from you. Like is this one show I keep going yeah. back to right yeah. now? My oh. ah. <laughs> it's is really good.
3: I wonder what you two think about. I, I find it much easier to watch. A film that I know is going to be really... Like, for instance, Till, which I'm sure we'll talk about soon, um, in terms of the awards. I, I find it easier to watch a film like Till than I would do to watch a series about yeah. that same subject mm. because of the the drawn... You know, the 40 hours of, you know, Game of Thrones or whatever. I watched the pilot. I was like, I just can't be in this world <laughs> for, you know, five, six seasons. It's too traumatic. Everyone is against each other. But if you asked me to go and see the film of it, I'd be like, okay, I can do two hours of that. How, what What's it like for you two?
2: I, I hear you. I think I am a bit more sold on something that I know it's going to be a limited series of six episodes mm. maybe, which is why I felt like very strongly about uh, I May Destroy You and Fleabag, mm. where like, again, both of them tackle very difficult Subjects, but you know they're not gonna have a very long shelf life. I agree with you. Mm. Like Game of Thrones, was very traumatic for me. You know? Like everyone's mm. like, can you just watch the like whatever prequel? I'm like I don't wanna watch incest anymore.
3: <laughs> but I, I think there's a, a bit of a theme coming up, which is you know we talked about Olivia Coleman, yeah, um, and and the comedy, and then if you watch the film Tyrannosaur, Paddy Considine film with Peter Mullen, incredible film and so dark, and she's amazing in it. Um, Michaela, who her first TV thing was um, Chewing Gum. And mm. she, she was chewing a, Gum's an yeah. yeah. Well, she was, at, uh, was a, you know, super bright comedy. Um, and she was at drama school with me. She was in third year when I was in no first way. year. Oh, yeah, wow, yeah. Oh, wow. So I remember seeing the very original incarnation of Chewing Gum, it was called Chewing Gum Dreams. And it was what we did. We could do in third year a solo project, which was like a 20 minute, you write your own one person show. Uh, It was amazing. But she was a real, like, master of not only the light, but the dark Mm. and that sort of balance there. And I think Zendaya's got it as well, I think, you know. Zendaya's the the
1: Disney star that's now made it as the the protagonist.
3: I mean, she's so great in, one. my niece's, made me watch one of the Spider Man films mm. and I thought she was brilliant. You know, it's just yeah. so funny and, you know, on the nose and not on the nose, um, like on the line with like earnest and solid yeah. and charismatic. And
1: her <laughs> facial expressions are insane.
3: <laughs> but she's, she's like dramatically apparently amazing in Euphoria, mm. right? So I don't know if there is something about like, if you can master both of them rather than just being, well, even like, even like Arnie to bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to Arnie's Oscar nomination next year, maybe.
1: What's this?
2: It's a movie. No. Oh, I liked it. No. Can
3: I say something? No.
2: I don't get it. What don't you get about it? Awesome. So the Oscars are just around the corner. They're taking place on March 13th this year. So we thought this is a perfect time to hear predictions from our listeners and also lock hours in. So, I mean, Simon Pete. I know you have thoughts on the Oscars and award ceremonies in general. So, I mean, I feel like we all do. We all know the kind of bullshit, but please bear with us for a few, <laughs> for a few minutes as we go through. I them. want to
1: understand from you. I don't even know how it works. Like, who, <laughs> how did the Oscars even get decided? I don't
2: I even know the, that, too. Oh, time and age. Go on, please.
3: So, the it's the American Academy, and the same for the BAFTAs. There's the Academy, and you get asked to become a member of the Academy. I mean, you, you can apply, I guess. Uh, and then say I'm uh, a costume designer. In the first round where we're looking to nominate, I can nominate costume designers and no one else except for best feature. So that's the nominations. So already that's quite interesting, right? Because you, as a costume designer, I'm, you know, I've got a really good eye and I'm going, oh, the costume designer was absolutely fantastic. Mm. But then when it comes to the winners, everyone in the Academy can vote on every category. So from all the people who've got amazing taste on costumes, then it's just, you know, you know, me who's just an actor or whatever being like, oh, yeah, I loved Tar, so I'm going to vote mm. for Tar. Yeah, I, see, I like the yeah. costumes. So it's, it's an odd. interesting, strange... Particular thing, yeah.
1: And how well balanced/slash diverse is the group of people that are in the gang that can do the voting? Not very. It's it's
3: very old and white and male and heterosexual. Mm. And they've been working, haven't they, the last few years to to like make it more representative of Mm. the the entire world rather than just a Mm. very very rich, tiny, privileged proportion of the world. So it's getting more diverse, but it's still. It's still pretty scary. But the
2: thing is, this isn't, a, to, to me, this isn't about cinema. It's about the industry. To me, these are industry-leading people working in the industry, promoting their friends, promoting the people that could potentially get in the next gig. So it's a very flawed, like, it's almost like, I mean, because I work for an agency, like, in the ad world. So I know this is very much like a very flawed system. We have our own awards where it's mm. like, Patting each other on the back, yeah. and it's like, where uh, where is the actual mm. progress? I I, mm. I hear Simon like Simon's point of view in terms of like we can celebrate progress, but at the same time, I feel like it's a bit superficial in that sense, yeah. or it can't be. And maybe like mm. maybe this is a time like for for you and I, like Simon, to talk about uh, to Leslie and mm. Andreas Rice um. Riceborough's nomination because. That nomination came out of nowhere. So for best actress, yeah, as you said, Danielle or Viola were almost locked mm. for that fifth mm. spot. So like four of them were pretty much like in. So Michelle Yeoh, um, Kate Blanchett, Michelle Williams, and Well, the
3: Michelle Williams thing is really interesting, because oh. apparen- apparently there was a decision made by I don't know if it was Michelle or the, the team on the Fablemans. To put her for best actress rather than best supporting, yeah. w- which was sort of bizarre because the film's not about her at all. The film's about the the Sammy who's Steven Spielberg, but Sammy Faber, Steven Spielberg. Um, so I would say the ones that that were the dead certs were Viola, Danielle, Kate, and Michelle, mm-hmm. and then that sort of fifth spot was up for grabs. But then Michelle Williams comes into best actor, best actress. Who knows why? What's the idea behind that? Because she's never going to be, Kate Blanchet. I don't know. Maybe someone thought, you know, there was a chance that she's going to be Kate or Michelle. To that, who knows? But then, yeah, the fifth spot, Andrea Riseborough
2: came out of nowhere. So, to Leslie's like an indie film. It will show in less than a month. Uh, it's on Prime right now. So, if you want to go rent it, uh, go do that now. In my opinion, the performance is incredible.
3: I loved her performance. Yes, it was, it was devastating.
2: Fantastic. It was fantastic. And I it loved was... the
3: film, actually, as well. I don't know what you thought about it.
2: And I love the film. You know, it, it, it does follow, like, a very specific trope, but at mm-hmm. the same time, I didn't mind that. Like, you yeah. know what you were getting yourself into. It did
3: surprise me, though, as well. I, I don't want to sort of say too much and spoil it for people, but w- it didn't go where I thought it was going to go. Okay. More than once, yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, okay. You know, yeah. I thought we were going in a very dark direction Mm -hmm. and we've ended up somewhere slightly different.
2: This is about a woman who's struggling with alcohol and drugs and it's a redemption story of someone who's uh, dealing with alcohol and drug abuse, right? So Mm -hmm. you're right, like Simon, like it it goes in a way that you don't expect it to necessarily, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, you you know what you're getting yourself into when you're watching that film. Mm -hmm. So it was very interesting because no one had heard about this film Prior to the Oscar nominations. And then the bizarre thing that happened is that 20 to 15 days before the Oscars get nominated, there is this storm of A-listers: Ben Stiller, Edward Norton, Kate Twinslet, Fuck Knows Wells. Like,
3: every
2: single white actor that's, you know, like, leading the business what, and right And these now? guys
1: are all, like, pushing this film. On social media. They're going
2: on Twitter and they're like, oh my God, Andrea, like, you guys, this is the performance of the decade. You need to watch this film. Do you think
1: it just went viral amongst the actor community or do you think there was something more...
2: No, no, no. I, mm. I, I, well, it? It? We, we can only speculate, I guess, because we don't know what actually happened. But long story short, this sort of sprint of people, of, like, of like A-listers, raving about Andrea's performance landed her nomination mm. that has never happened mm. before in the mm. history of Oscars. Zero marketing budget about this film. No one knows about this film. So do
1: you think it was organic or do you think there was something else at play? My
2: uh yeah. My theory is that because these people, this this very small group of people have so much power, were able to push that nomination forward because from what i've heard and from what i've read before people that vote for the oscars actually don't even watch the films that they're voting for Mm. this was the hot ticket for the year as in oh my god let me come across as like this cool person that has seen this underground performance that no one has heard about because edward norton talked about it Mm. so it was Almost like an entry of you, like of you as an actor, producer, director to come across more intellectual in the kind of industry because this was an objectively incredible performance. But there was this sort of um, drama going on about Andrea orchestrating mm. this whole thing and how she started calling her A list like Hollywood friends. Yeah. And she was the one responsible for kicking Viola and Danielle mm. out of the you know, spot, Mm. like the fifth spot. I don't Mm. think it's fair. I don't think Andrea would do that. She's not interested Mm. in doing anything like that. It's more of a, I don't know, like I I feel like it's more representative of where the actors and how the Academy Mm. works really.
3: There's a few other things that I've sort of seen. I I should say, I know uh, one of the producers of the film, I did a short with him last year. I haven't really talked to him about it, but one of the things that's come up as well is that, viola and danielle where was the movement for them where all of their rich white friends were were saying that and what it wasn't happening and and maybe that was just because everyone thought well they're a shoe-in there's no way you know they're not going to get nominated but well this is this is what the result um michael morris i think the director i think is is very popular and and well liked and i think the first one of the first things that comes out is helen hunt you know Posting on Instagram, you know, my friend Michael has done this, and oh, we should also say that um, people like Gwyneth Paltrow were organising screenings for Academy members of the film. Oh. Um, one of the stories I was reading today, and there's a podcast about it. I think you, you can track down if you follow through the links on the BBC articles. Is someone saying that there was nothing organic about this this movement? And um, Andrew riseborough's uh, manager is very influential <laughs> and very um, popular. And it's a it's a campaign. Yeah. And campaigning is maybe something, Sophie, right. that you could you could talk about. I don't know if you want to talk about.
2: It's a very unconventional campaign. I don't even know. Like for for me, like I don't know, taking a step back, I just it feels like an accident, but I could also see it being a campaign that will be used from now onwards. Mm. And how yeah, like
1: become a theme.
2: Yeah, become a theme. Like this is a very different way of approaching Oscar campaigning, which traditionally has been landing every single TV spot, doing mm. SNL, mm. like Jimmy Fallon, like just, uh, yeah, going on every single podcast out there. And Andrea did none of these things. She just went to the source, which is mm. the voters. Mm. I mean, mm. if, if this is what actually happened. So mm. if it was a campaign, I find it very smart, mm. And I cannot comment mm. to her for that. It's just a shame that it was, you know, like, the black actresses that took the cut, as opposed to lesser deserving actresses, like in my opinion, Michelle Williams for *The Months which didn't deserve that spot.
3: Yeah, I think she should have been in Best Supporting. Yeah, um, yeah, and that's a, that's a real. It's a yeah. You know, I, I agree. I think it's a real shame how it's worked out. Yeah. Yeah.
2: All right. So I want us to kick off with a voice note. That we got from our listener, Grant. So, Grant also dropped Wait, us- is this
1: Grant from last week?
2: Yes, so I was going to say. So, Grant also dropped us a voice. And- Bloody yeah. hell, Grant. He got a lot of traction for his Cortese comment. So, let's give... Yeah, let's give him some slack. Because he basically... I mean, he started his voice note by saying that Martin's Cortese is overrated. <laughs> but, but then he went on to say that he's very influential. And so like, he's done some great stuff as well. So, I want to give that full context. Mm. So, uh... Yeah.
3: I've got a question for Grant in a minute. All right.
2: Afterwards. Okay. Awesome. Yo, pick the phone. What's up?
0: What's up? We just got a ping from the burner phone. There's a significant amount of explosive. It's the trash receptacle next. to you. Sophie, you want predictions? I have them for you. I have a feeling that everything, everywhere, all at once, will win Best Picture. It's getting some crazy push right now, and it seems like its a, momentum is unstoppable. Um, however, I would like Banshees of Inisharan to win, just because I think it's uh, an incredibly crafted story. Uh, I think Spielberg will win uh, Best Director because the Academy love him and he hasn't won for a while. Uh, Brendan Fraser will win Best Actor. Kate Blanchett Best Actress. Key kwai Juan uh, will win Best Supporting Actor. Angela Bassett will win for Black Panther or Wakanda Forever. Um, Banshees of Inisherin Sharon will win Best Original Screenplay, and Top Gun Maverick will win Best Adaptation. Um, however, I would like Martin McDonough to win Best Director, Paul Mescal to win Best Actor, Kay Blanchett to, to win Best Actress, Barry Keoghan to win Best Supporting Actor. Um, I would say Best Supporting Actress, Carrie Condon. Uh, she kind of is the moral center um, for that film as well. Original screenplay, everything everywhere, everything all at once, and and best ad- adapted screenplay, women talking. You know, Sarah Polley, very accomplished filmmaker and screenwriter. And yeah, hope they get something for that too. It's a great film.
2: It's an accomplishment in, in well, cinema though, everything everywhere. I think that's the main mm-hmm. argument for me that even though, even if it didn't touch many people or it came across as very wild,
0: yeah. my
3: my question for grant while well, i remember it is grant what do you think of joanna hogg who um martin scorsese has been producer or executive oh, producer a, this, on many of her films and yeah. obsessed with her really interested to hear what you think of joanna hogg and what anyone thinks of you know the souvenirs <laughs> hopefully there's not a part three coming i no. think part right. one and part right. two have covered let's, it
2: let's stop it in um, part two.
3: well maybe there's a prequel um uh, so, but this, I think, is then there's the thing of like, one, what does best mean? What does best picture mean? And also, like, we're talking about voting here, right? So, I mean, there's, te- I think, is there 10, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10 I think, going, eight, back 10 to, yeah, I think nominations. going back
2: to, yeah, the definition, mm. because I had a, yeah, uh, yeah I looked it up. It They do translate it as extraordinary or, or outstanding, maybe mm. that's the word they used, achievement mm. in cinema. So for me, it's like going mm. above and beyond in cinematic achievement. Yeah.
3: And, and that's it. So I remember there's a moment with um, 1917 where I thought 1917 was going to win the Oscar in the year. Which Sophie, hopefully you can remember who won the Oscar that year. Um, but, okay. but um, you know, 1917 was one of those things where it did win the Oscar for cinematography and the achievement was amazing. Right. Um, but there's this thing of like, how are people voting? What are they voting for? There's taste, of course. But then there's also, for me, I loved 1917, but I did not want it to win because it felt like it was a technical film. Do you know what I mean? It was it was The technical
1: uh, prowess was excellent. Yeah. But it didn't connect in a way that was new and inventive and hadn't been seen before or in a while.
3: And also, like we, we talked a little bit earlier about um, pre recording, about um, people vote with their hearts and with emotion. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I think Academy voters, um, I think,
1: like all of us, are snobby. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we... So, wait, they are voting with their emotion or they're not? Are I, th- they being, I think I think we do calculated?
3: vote emotionally in, so, in terms of, like, some films, like, we'll be like, oh, no, we can't give it to that. Oh, you know, emotionally oh, in oh, terms
1: no. of snobby and emotion? Yeah, I oh, think okay. so.
3: I think that comes into it. And I also think there's the thing that um, use the uh, phrase, like, a sort of tribute Oscar that... Um, and a few actors have talked about this. Jeremy Irons said that he doesn't think that really he went, won the Oscar for Reversal of Fortune, that he won it for a film that he did the year before called Dead Ringers, where mm-hmm. he plays two twins. Mm-hmm. Um And uh, for me, a single man was the performance oh, for me that was that really Oscar worthy. And, and then, but he didn't win it for that. He won it for the sort of more classically Academy voter appealing one, the sort of Trixie playing someone with some sort of stammer or, um, you know, playing a historical figure, Um, you know, like Lincoln, you know, wins. Yeah, biopics. um, Yeah. Yeah. Think about this. Like if it was a choice between two films, so let's say it was a choice between Triangle of Sadness and Top Gun Maverick, then then we've got a very different contest. But it's not. It's a choice between 10 films. So as has happened in this country, where the vote of people who are sort mm. of on the left has been very split for a long time. Uh, and there's people who want Brexit, and there's people who don't want Brexit. And I think we're going to have a different thing in the next election. But, you know, the people who... The crowd who are going to love Banshees of Inishirin, um, Tar, Triangle of Sadness, Women Talking, All Quiet on the Western Front... Where's their vote going to go? It's not all going to go to one film. And if it did, that film would win, probably. But it's going to be sort of split. And then the same maybe with the more, um, I don't know, mainstream uh, populist taste of like, you know, I don't think people are going to be voting for Avatar because I think there's that snobbery around it, you know, yeah. from the Academy.
2: Like if there was one popular film that were to win, mm. I agree with Grant that it would be Top Gun Maverick. Mm. That would be... I mean, I'm not okay with that. If that were to happen, I mean, if there was an award
1: for the most textbook Hollywood film, Top Gun Maverick <laughs> That's the thing. Win it.
2: Like, well, it's, best,
1: it smashed it.
2: That's a yeah. That's a great thing. Like, best picture does it equal best crowd pleaser? Mm. Because then well, it's a different conversation. That's but... what
1: Top Top Gun Maverick
2: is. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, that's mm. what it is.
1: Yeah. But uh, there's
3: also this factor of. I mean, like the three of us have gathered together, knowing in advance that we were going to have to have this conversation to mm-hmm. vote on who we think is the be best. And um, I very much had the intention that I was going to try and watch every film. Now life's got in the way, mm-hmm. you know. I'm I'm busy acting and directing and producing, and so out of these films, I haven't seen Elvis. I haven't seen Top Gun Maverick uh, out of choice. Um, hashtag Scientology. <laughs> I haven't seen um, uh, Avatar: The Way of Water. I haven't yet seen All Quiet on the Western Front, which I'm desperate to. So am I going to vote for any of those films to win Best Picture? No. So there's this thing with the campaigns of like, how can you make people watch Mm -hmm. your thing? There's an interesting thing about um, To Leslie where one thing they felt sort of started to swing the tide is when they uploaded it onto the virtual platform that Academy voters can watch films on. Because suddenly, oh, now I can watch it. Whereas Mm -hmm. before it was like, oh, well didn't go to South by Southwest festival, so I didn't see it.
1: Mm. No.
2: Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. It, so it's a
1: supply issue as much as anything yeah.
2: else. Like,
3: Yes. And I think what I'm saying is this is it's never about what is the best picture, because mm. what does that mean?
2: Objectively, mm. it, that's never the conversation. And I remember like uh, an Academy voter, like a very influential one going like, Anon, um, you know, the <laughs> Hollywood Reporter, like a couple of years ago saying, oh, I know for a fact that, no one is watching all of the films that they're, you know, voting for. No The it, It's the films that get the biggest, like the most buzz for whatever, mm. it, and the actors, the performers that mm. get the most buzz. So it's like such a PR The zeitgeist. Thing. The
3: zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. And also, but, they host all these screenings. Like, I've been to BAFTA course, screenings yeah. before. And it's not just for fun that, you know, um, I was at um, one for Phantom Thread. It's not just for fun that. Um, Daniel Day-Lewis and Leslie Manville have shown up and Johnny yeah. Greenwood, you know, yes. is to get BAFTA voters to come and watch the bloody film yeah. so that then we'll be like, oh, we've seen that one. We really liked it. Mm. Maybe we'll vote for it mm. rather than, ah, oh, we didn't watch our screener of that because we were busy doing our garden or, yeah. you know, actually directing or writing something.
2: Sounds exhausting. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, I yeah. Glendon I mean, Gleeson actually... Mm. Is it perfectly? Brendan
3: or Glendon? Brendan. Brendan. Brendan, Brendan. Sorry, yeah. I'm, I think why, Glendon's a better name, though. Yeah, I, I don't always say
2: Glendon. Sorry, Glendon. <laughs> it's Brendan. Uh, he, you know, he described it perfectly the other day where he said, I've spent more time talking about this bloody mm. film than actually, you know, playing in that mm. film, which is like the PR. It takes yeah. a lot more time, you know, compared to shooting. I itself.
1: think that with judging films, we should wait 10 years... <laughs> because that's the I real that. me- that's the, the real yeah. measure of
2: love. Like i love that banging cinema i love
1: that
3: so are we going to nail yeah. our thingies to colors to the mast? okay yes yeah. well, so you should go first
2: yeah we should do a quick oh, fire man. okay start with uh um, best picture
3: i've got a feeling everything everywhere all at once
2: who should win
3: i'm going to use this to talk about triangular sadness which which i loved
2: i love i love too.
3: triangular sadness love interesting that. my girlfriend saw it recently Thought it was all right and I think context is so important you and I, I think both saw it at the London Film Festival and yeah. um, I think we both saw a press and industry screening which were absolutely packed yeah, I was yeah, very yeah, lucky yeah, to yeah, get in Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah I was showing off but um, and I was sat on the front row so close to the screen everyone was laughing <laughs> there'd been this buzz of like oh it's a good film I'd seen his previous two films Graham I'd loved Norton it. was sitting <laughs> just one row behind <laughs> uh, Ruben and I we uh, we chat on uh, Instagram every now and again um, but that was my context. Her context was people had said, "Oh my god, this film's great! You're going to love it." She'd seen the trailer. I mean, these, but we'll talk about this with banshees in a bit. The trailers basically you just watch the entire film, you know. And she watched it on a computer, tiny computer. She paused it a couple of times, went to the loo, watched it the next morning. Yeah, very different context. But for me, Triangle of Sadness, yeah, I I, I loved it, and um, yeah, I, I agree with you. Win.
2: I think everything, everywhere will win. Even though, yeah, I I hear Christopher's point about maybe being a bit of a wild card for people. Uh, but I think it's people have kind of drunk the Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid with mm. everything everywhere. 100% we give it triangle of sadness uh-huh. has something to say. You know, like it's it's provocative. It's different. It's an actual achievement. Mm. You know, it's a cinematic achievement. So I'm with you.
3: Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I I, I loved everything, everywhere, all at once. Course, I'm yeah. I'm very happy for it to win because I loved it in same. a very different way. I just don't want to waste my should and my
2: will. Yeah. Best director.
3: Best director. Where
2: are you, Daniels? List everything.
3: Oh, that would be sort of great, wouldn't it? Yeah. What? Yeah, because what what an, a directing achievement that was. Yeah. I would
2: give it to Todd Field as uh, also christopher calls it i i thought it was tar was so beautifully directed like I, I don't know i just i was very moved by it throughout yeah but that's just me i don't think it's gonna win i think it's really gonna be spielberg or daniels but best actor brandon uh, fraser i'm hearing from people
3: i i think yeah i think he's gonna get it i think it's gonna be american and i think With the BAFTAs, using my psychic powers, uh, because when you're listening to this, the BAFTAs will already have been decided. I I think there's a chance that it will be Bill Nye or Paul Mescal. I think Bill Nye or maybe even Colin, but I think the um, the Oscars are going to go for an American. Actually, Brendan Fraser, he's Australian. I I feel Brendan Fraser, partly because of the story behind the performance, plus the performance, which I think is great.
2: Wow, okay. Canadian-American, yeah, he yeah he my could, spider yeah, he's, senses were he's not tickling. He's very Canadian, <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. I mm. think Brendan will win, in my opinion, Colin Farrell should win. I love his performance. Mm. I don't know why. I, I, I think it takes a lot of skill to play a character like that. It's actually very difficult.
3: I think we can count out Bill Nye and Paul Mescal just because of like, right, yeah, of course. you know, you need a sort of critical yeah. mass.
2: And, I mean, Austin Butler for... I mean, someone said... Uh, uh, Joe, uh, uh, in her comments, said, Austin Butler will win Best Actor. I don't see that coming, but I think his PR tour really mm. hurt him with the whole Method Actor sort of thing. Aww. And how he's still stuck with the Elvis accent, but... I
1: don't know. Oh, he got
3: trapped in the yeah, Elvis
2: accent? Yeah, he, like, tortured artist syndrome,
3: but... It's the one, it's the one that I, st- I haven't seen yet out of
2: he, the to five. Be, to be... I mean, to go on record... I loved his performance. I heard
3: great things.
2: He's incredible, but I mean it's also like I I don't know I think yeah, as I said I, th- I think what he's done with like going on every single PR so has kind of
3: and as well like who's voting here It's not the only public vote is the um the rising star bit the BAFTAs. Sure. Yeah. none of the rest of it's public yeah. vote.
2: Best actress. So, the majority of our listeners are calling Kate Blanchett to be the witness. I think Michelle Yo is still very yeah. up in the running.
3: I'd like to see that.
2: I would love to see Michelle. I could see Kate winning that one, unfortunately. So, I mean, I'm happy with both, but. Team Michelle. Team Michelle. Team Michelle. Misses earned it. Best supporting Angela Bassett. Uh, most people, uh, a couple of people said. Uh, Carrie Condon from uh, Bance's very much deserved. If so,
3: I think it's wide open, but I'm going to go with Jamie Lee Curtis. Wow, okay. I I think she, I think she might get it. You
2: remember that? Yeah. Mm. She was in the top. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally forgot about her. (laughs) She's great. She's
3: fun. She's she's
0: popular. Well, I go go
1: straight to fish called Wonder every time. Uh, (laughs) Amazing.
2: (laughs) Was amazing. Yeah, love it. And best supporting, I think Ki Hua Kwan is pretty locked Uh, for. Everything Everywhere
3: I would love to see Barry Keoghan win I think it's a beautiful beautiful moment
2: definitely Um, I would be happy with both I I thought yeah I thought Key brought a lot of um, heart to Everything Everywhere you know the husband you remember but yeah Barry you're right he was just incredible in Everything Everywhere I'm going to just uh, close this segment with Jay's prediction who said no one will get slapped owing to the academy making everyone wear black tights and sorbing <laughs> balls to keep out of every <laughs> to keep everyone out of arm's reach. I think this prediction wins the segment by far. Wait,
1: was last year's Oscar, Oh yeah, Oscar the slap? Yeah,
2: yeah, it was last year. <laughs> Shit,
1: that feels like longer. Yeah. It I was- mean, how are they going to top that?
2: I have no idea. I get literally just get everyone uh, absorbing balls and black ties. Uh, uh, uh. Awesome, yeah. Thank you so much for sending your predictions. We're going to have to have a look back on uh, you know on them once we have the winners. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back with our final scene.
1: Oh look, a message from our sponsor. GI Jane Two. Can't wait to see it. Nah, yo, hold my
0: poodle, huh? hey, yo, what's up? Y'all got a problem? Y'all want some of this? Without much further ado, here we go again.
2: Okay, so we're back. So today we're going to talk about Martin McDonald's, The Banshees of been Sharing. The film has already won three Golden Globe Awards, including the one for Best Picture in the Musical and Comedy category that I know Simon, you know, AIDS and I disagree on because you think it's a comedy and I think it's a tragedy. Yeah,
3: yeah, very
2: (laughs) true. But it has also scored nine Oscar nominations. What... What makes you think it's a comedy, Simon?
3: I watched this film at eight thirty a.m. in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: not
1: one of these morning here. Yeah, it was all—it was
3: sort of <laughs> horrific. It was a London Film Festival. It was in one of the big Odeons, surrounded by press and industry people, and I was about to get in a car to go to a costume fitting, and people were laughing. <laughs> people found it funny, and I found it funny. Yeah, so I think. I think he's got a really dark sense of humour.
2: I agree. I agree. I also feel like that is his saddest film to date Mm. as well, which I feel like the tragedy and the melancholy Mm -hmm. of the film overpowers the humour that you see in Bruges or... Would you accept
3: best musical or tragic comedy (laughs) as a category?
2: Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I I could see the tragic comedy, yeah, like, yeah, uh, happening. So, okay, from what I've seen online, the ending of the film have had people kind of perplexed on first viewing, so we are here to dissect it. But first, let me quickly sum up the plot for us, as I usually do with these dodgy plots that I find online. Okay, this is a difficult one, but I'll try. On a fictional Irish island in the early 1920s called Ine two men find themselves at perplexing odds. Porek, do we say? Think pork. Okay, porik. Oh, Whatever. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like porridge. Mm. <laughs> Colin Farrell is at a loss when his closest friend, Colm, Brendan Gleeson, gives him the cold shoulder at their local pub for no apparent reason. When Porik asks Colm what he's done to upset him, Colm declares he he hasn't done anything. He just doesn't want to be friends with him anymore. Disbelievingly. Parik attempts to rekindle their friendship, but this results in a drastic response from Kolm. In order to show Parik how serious the matter is, Kolm promises to cut off one of his own fingers every time Pork speaks to him. Their feud escalates until nearly everyone in the sharing is pulled into the fray, resulting in an unresolved dispute that satisfies no one. okay. Yeah, I, I mean, we talked about this prior to recording, but I have to admit, like, this was a tough one for me to prep because I felt like there were so many story arcs that had to come to a close for the final scene to kind of make sense. So I'm assuming that if you're still listening, you've seen the film, so we don't have to set this whole thing up. Like, you, we can talk about the actual feud and how it escalates. We can talk about com's fucking motivations and while <laughs> make someone cut his own fingers. we could talk about the donkey we could talk about the sister Dominic like there's a lot going on. but like all of these things culminate in a way that lead up to the final scene. So let's start by the climax of the third act, which will kind of help us get to the ending. Why does Pork burn down Colm's house?
1: So his beloved donkey has uh-huh. died because Zenny. Yeah, so his beloved donkey has died because Colm has turned up at his house previously, chopped off all his fingers, uh chucked them at the front door sure. by that point. Yep, yeah, and uh and and little Jenny has shown up <laughs> and had a bit of a nibble on some of the fingers and choked to death. It's a tragic and
2: accident, yeah. I think. It's that that mm. is very I mean I think mm. this is where things started going downhill for mm. me, where I started like really crying. It's it's interesting because up until that point it felt like the feud was kind of one-sided on Colm's part. And that's when Porik is like, fuck this. I mean, like I need to fight back. And it's like we witness a major shift in his character mm. up until that point he's been this super nice mm. quote unquote character it's just one moment mm. in
3: the pub where he sort of stands up to him and there's like oh he liked that so oh, maybe I should yeah. do that more yeah that's true but other than that yeah he's yeah, been pretty that's true.
2: easy so me, yeah so for me it's almost like this is I don't know like this act of him literally burning down Combs' house kind of signifies there is no hope for reconciliation mm. because how can you Take mm. that back, in a mm. way. It, it's almost like irreparable damage to each other that they're doing.
3: They start the scene, or there's some point in the scene, they're like, oh, you know, they seem to have gone quiet over on the mainland, not so much shooting. And, um, you know, and then Colin Farrell says, well, yeah, we both know they're going to start again soon enough because there are some things that, you know, there's no coming back from. Mm. I really feel that I would appreciate this film so much more if I was Irish. I'm sure that there's a sort of symbolism to it. And re-watching that final scene, I think I saw more than I saw originally. When I originally saw it, I was loving the film, having a great time, really enjoying it, looking forward to the ending. And then the credits started rolling. And I was like, wait, where's the third <laughs> act? That's my hot yeah. take on it.
1: It's almost the, the futility of retributions. You know, when you feel like deep injustice and then you retaliate, it just keeps making everything worse. Mm. And that's what this film like shows, mm. I think, really well.
2: Yeah, of course. Because I mean, to to give some context, because I, I don't feel like people outside of the UK really know or can grasp what the metaphor is all about. Like, I've uh, interestingly enough, I've only seen that kind of metaphor to the Irish Civil War being taken. Um, upon from um british critics like like i mm. i don't see that kind of commentary mm. with american outlets which is interesting so for yeah for context obviously i can't speak to what happened because i have zero history knowledge but my understanding is that the war that was taking place at the time bef- between uh, the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland was, yeah, as Simon would say, it was futile. It, just kind, it was kind of nonsensical. And I can I can speak from like a, someone coming from Greece, like we also had a Greek civil war. Like, Cyprus. Because, yeah, like, no, no, no. Like oh. communists and post-Nazi Greek era, weird as fuck. But very similar principles in the sense of you have so much collateral damage, which to me, Dominique is part of that. Like it kind of signifies mm. the collateral damage and a lot of the people mm. that kind of get, you know, in, you know, in the crossfire, end up in the crossfire for whatever yeah. reason. And then you have Colm and Pori kind of represent North and South. And they find themselves at opposing sides of the war for reasons that, I find in that in that final scene where they have they are at, by the shore and they have this final conversation, they even fail to understand why things ended up the way they were. Mm. It's like how do we even get here? Mm. Like if, if but even it's valid
1: in that film because of course, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, the beginning of the film Cole never says why or there's no really good reason for his.
2: Which is what usually happens with wars. Like, it's not like you come... You, you don't attack a country because you... Or you don't attack someone and you give them the... Oh, here's all of the reasons yeah. I'm doing so. You just do it. And then years later, months later, you know, decades later, you figure out, oh, this is... what Why do we get here? So, I don't know. So, like, it's like
1: the, the idea that you've literally forgotten why this whole thing began. Exactly.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, mm. and it all started from... I don't know, I, th- I think maybe we could even talk about the concept of male friendship even, where mm-hmm. it- it's very hard to talk about your feelings. And supposedly from what we've seen in the film, Combs started, you know, struggle with depression. Mm-hmm. And it was easier for him to just cut that, you know, cut his best friend out of his life rather than maybe even speak to someone because there's no one to talk to, really, mm-hmm. when you think about it. So... I don't know, I just find that I just found that final scene very sad. And going back to your point, um, uh, Simon, I think Martin McDonough has that kind of he does that with his final scenes. Yeah. It's the same thing with th- you know, three billboards. Three billboards yeah. It's so like abrupt the way yeah. he ends his films. Yeah. And I don't know if you have any thoughts on why he does that, or like what he's trying to mm. get the viewer to think about
3: yeah i wonder if it is something about what we're talking about about conflict and that life isn't you know sort of neat tied up yeah. hollywood ending that there is mess but for me rewatching and i can't remember how i felt when i first watched um this scene in inashirin they 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 are sort of weirdly like both reconciled and that seems as though the feud is going to continue I, I it's a sort of unclear like where it's going to go next but there's all this stuff about, oh, thanks, thanks for looking after my dog, anytime, mm-hmm. And they both seem to, it seems to mean a lot to porrick at least, that moment. And so there's a sort of weird thing, and there's this very similar thing, like you're saying, Three Billboards, where, you know, um, Sam Rockwell and um, Frances McDormand are in the car together. And she says, yeah, it was me that burnt the station down, giving you those injuries. And he was like, well, yeah, obviously. I mean, who else <laughs> was it gonna be? Um, and they're sort of reconciled. Mm. Um, and then there's the this thing of like, well, are we really going to kill this guy? Is that a good idea? And they're both like, yeah, I'm not sure. Let's, let's work it out. And he seems to love that sort of ending. Because for me, watching those two scenes today together next to each other, they basically seem like the same scene to me. Right.
2: Yeah. 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 That's a very good point. Because, yeah, when we go back to the very final scene, which is basically these two by the shore, having that kind of last conversation, from what we remember, Colm kind of takes a step back and he's like, maybe we shouldn't even have fun in the first place. He kind of retracts Mm. on his original, like, you know, I don't know, proposition in terms of like, oh yeah, let's not be friends anymore. And then uh, Colin Farrell's character says something very interesting only if you were in that house that was burning down, that view would be oh, over. Oh, yeah.
3: He says something like, oh, we uh, Gleeser says, oh, we quits now, I guess. Yeah, as in, like, down this is over, right? Like, no, yeah. mate, yeah. <laughs> you're yeah, yeah. not
2: dead. as in, I guess we're even. I mean, that but, was what I Bre- mean, that just, spe- for me, that just
1: speaks to the surreal nature of the film. Like, then Porrig has committed murder. Like, that's nuts. That's mm. like a whole different ballgame. That's like... Not real life. So, th- so that that moment that took me out the film. I was like, this is a, this is a kind of fairy tale. This isn't real,
2: unless you have nothing else to lose. And Porik has just, lost the film his sister. He's lost his best friend. Sister He's sister lost... moved
1: away. I mean,
2: no, as in like. I mean, for, for me, it's more like at this point, both of them are broken mm. AF. And at this point, like Porik, wouldn't care about going to jail. Do You know because what? The, the,
1: the image I've got in my head is of Colm being in the pub holding his violin with one hand and then the bleeding stubs of his fingers just like that's just that's not Mm. possible is it like that's it's
2: surreal it's uh, yeah very surreal. yeah
1: so like that's not reality so that therefore that that scene from then on led me to like feel more like removed from the reality of the film
0: Mm. the
1: fact that some guy is in the pub conducting some young dudes playing violins Mm. with like a stub of a hand like bleeding out like that's weird like the
3: the whole conceit of him cutting his fingers off I I remember the cinema I I was like what the fuck are they What this is actually happening it it was like it was like oh we're in a really different film to what I thought we were in yeah and to
1: that point I was like oh now we're in metaphor like now Mm -hmm. it's a bit different like Mm -hmm. we're in a bit of a surreal Mm -hmm. netherworld kind of Mm -hmm. thing Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. did
1: you feel like that Sophia Uh,
2: yeah no it felt very metaphorical to me the whole fingers thing I I I think Weirdly, really, I could relate to that. Right. In conjunction with him feeling very depressed, because I'm someone who likes to write, and that comes with a certain level of torment. Sometimes, when some of, some th- something is in your brain and you can't quite put it on paper, but you're so desperate on putting your For lack of a better word, art out, but you want to put something on paper. So, I like quite frankly, I've had, I want to say nightmares, but they were dreams of like, oh my God, it would be such a relief if I had my brain removed from my, like, if I had my mind removed from my brain tomorrow, or like my ability to write tomorrow because then I wouldn't have tormented myself over writing. So it's almost like that kind of, it's a stereotype of tormented artist sort of thing where you kind of obsess over the idea of creating art where there there is kind of a sense of twisted relief in taking the very thing that can make you create art going away because then Mm -hmm. you can be at least calm. Mm -hmm. There's nothing to... Yeah, yeah. As in, I I almost feel like Colm is almost like he's more chill at the end of the film in that final scene because he has literally no way of creating art anymore. Mm. And that stops his torture. I feel like you're really,
1: for me, you're really reaching with that because
2: potentially. For me, the
1: Colm character just didn't have enough reason for his actions in that film because it was never explained in the first place, which maybe is what depression is. Yeah. But it just didn't have enough meat on it for me to get behind.
2: So that's what Brendan actually said in an interview recently where he said where he said, when I first watched that film, I was like, fuck this character. Like I can't even defend him myself. I thought he was very like he was very unsympath- unsympathetic towards his own yeah. character. But when he had to watch this film again and again and again, and I think this is the kind of film that is worthy of a second viewing. And I think maybe yeah. Simon, you benefited from that like mm. from like at least the final scene mm. you you kind of understand that he's not like he, there's there are a lot of layers to him so like first viewing i i, I like i was team one hundred percent, and then second viewing i was like what is this guy no f- it. Yeah, fuck like fuck this guy like niceness mm. is different to kindness and i don't see mm. that and I was almost like more empathetic towards calm mm. because of that kind of tormented artist. I can see why like you would want to, you're, you're fucking tired of the 10 people you have to converse with for the rest of your life in mm. the same island. You're like, fuck you. The whole fingers thing is <laughs> complex. I And it's definitely like, to your point, surreal. But I can see the temptation to just, let go of it all mm. by just i don't know like self-mutilating again which is mm. extreme but i can see that maybe
1: the chopping off of the fingers is like a metaphor for what it's like for british people to end a friendship and be honest about their feelings <laughs> that, I mean, that,
2: that's what i told my best friend like okay no offense to you know the men in the room and the men mm-hmm. who are listening but i was like Oh, my God. It would have been so much simpler to just tell him. He <laughs> to, 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 to just talk to someone as opposed Simon to Simon H., have you ever had a
1: situation it. where you'd have rather cut off your <laughs> and <laughs> actually told the truth?
3: Well, I tell you, that, there is something about the, because I'm sort of a bit baffled as to why this film is so popular. Yeah,
1: I'm know? the same as you. Yeah. Like,
3: I, like I said, I loved the experience of watching it. And then there was the moment where I was like, oh, the credits. Well, hang on. Where's the rest of the film? Um, but I guess it does speak to something about friendship. Something. It's a really, really, really simple story of like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be friends with you anymore, and that's it. And I think, I'm sure we've all had that with people sometimes. We're like, you know what, I'm just done with this relationship, <laughs> and then it's really taken to the extreme.
0: Mm-hmm. But
3: it is puzzling. And back to this final scene, because Colm, mm-hmm. I agree with you, Simon, that at the start, he, or maybe it was you, Sophie, who said this, at the start, it's like, He's like, "Oh, cool, we're done, great, you know and he's he's more chilled than he was before, but now um Porrick has taken over and is like, nah, we're not done and and I was waiting for the final showdown which which didn't come, but that's maybe how Martin McDonough wants us to see the world
2: well, on that note, though, you know how in the very last shots mm. we get uh, oh. McCormick like Mrs. McCormick
1: yeah
3: we
2: the have the Banshee who is the Banshee
1: oh she's sitting on the chair yeah so this is a creepy yeah, old
2: that's woman the, that's
1: the penultimate shot isn't it
3: yeah
2: yeah, penul- yeah, yeah, yeah exactly of her and,
1: watching
3: the two and watching Porrick walking away right
2: which I think is very interesting because like again I had to look this up I'm not trying to play smart but like in Irish fol- folklore like Banshee kind of sig- signals impending tragedy and death mm. so her looking at them too at the very final scene, I wonder whether that kind of, whether it signifies the friend of their friendship or as simple as that, because she already mm. predicted quote unquote two deaths, Jenny and mm. Dominique, mm. really. Mm. And her kind of being like, I'm watching you, <laughs> like <laughs> at Man. these two. I, I don't know. I just think there is something there and I don't think it's over for them because you're right. Like Simon, you mentioned no, that it, it felt very unresolved and yeah. like it's only the beginning.
3: Yeah. Maybe so, he's setting up for Banshees of Inisher in 2. Ooh. <laughs> he
2: would never. <laughs> what would the would,
3: what would the subtitle be for that? He Banshees would never.
2: He would never. But you no, know, I think I agree. It's more going back to what you said, Simon, in terms of like the... How all of it has been futile, has been futile, mm. and like everything is shit.
3: It seems to me as well that they seem the most resolved in the whole film. Like they seem like they're that they could be really good mates now. <laughs> now that um, Colin Farrell's like, I'm gonna kill you, and he's yeah. like, Cool, sounds good. Do you <laughs> know what I mean?
2: <laughs> he's almost
3: like, Now Brendan Gleason's got what he wanted.
2: He respects him more, I think. Yeah, because he's all being a bit one, more yeah.
3: real with him.
2: The ending should have
1: been a massive folk song (laughs) piss up in the pub. And like, it should have ended up on a massive tune. (laughs) Like, he should have got his fingers back. I would
3: Spielberg have done it. Cracked at his (laughs)
1: violin. It should have been a song or something. Something completely (laughs) mad. I think that
2: would be Martin 10, 15 years ago. But I do feel like this is his most accomplished film to date. And it's because we talked about this earlier, like Simon H., Mm. How he's uh, like his uh, filmography, you know, Seven Psychopaths in Bruges, uh, Three mm. Billboards. It really tackles like male, must- like, you know, like mm. toxicity and uh, yeah, well, losers, we're saying before, really.
1: Um, like like men are this uh, walking powder keg of repressed emotions. Mm. Yeah, and it's, that's a, kind it's, of, it's exactly that, that's yeah. quoting Robert a, Webb.
2: Yeah, it's exactly mm. that. However, I think with this film, I can see. The director's eye being a lot more empathetic towards his characters Mm. compared to what he did with In Bruges, which was basically look at these losers just being horrible to Mm. each other. Mm.
1: But the thing is, the thing in this situation that I probably haven't accounted for is the fact that they're on this tiny island, of course, with very little opportunity to mix with people. You know, he hasn't got any other opportunities to have friends with. So, like, Mm. he's like, Column is like really important to him, I guess, Mm. and Mm. vice versa. Essentially, yeah. For me, the, the feeling that
3: I got with this, as I said, was, oh. Whereas the feeling I got with Three Billboards was like, what? Oh, that's the end. And I was like, ah, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. give it me more. was a sort of satisfying thing of like, oh, of course, we don't need to know whether they kill this guy or not, because all that matters is that she's sort of found peace
2: mm-hmm. with
3: him. I just didn't, I didn't quite get that from this.
2: I personally was team Dominique and team Siobhan. <laughs> and they both totally either long. fucked yeah. off or died. Well, there <laughs> be anyone that could
1: articulate like yeah. how they felt and stuff. So. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I, yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm a Siobhan. I think I would, yeah, get the fuck off this island. Siobhan. Yeah. Uh, what? Siobhan. <laughs> whatever. Like, get a <laughs> library job, whatever. Some and, Irish. Yeah. Yeah. Pronunciation. yeah, or kill myself. I can see that, but probably not. Okay cool on that note on that very fun note i think we saw the ending again simon thank you so much for i don't know like for joining us i i feel like you need to come back oh, very soon so we to. can talk about Thanks for having uh, me. i mean uh, maybe you can you know pick your favorite film or like pick your favorite final scene you can have a thing what and you can if come you back. could
1: um, choose one final scene maybe final scene what would it be
3: yeah, the first thing that pops into my mind is the final scene of Atonement, which just had a really big Ooh. impact on
1: me. Oh, it did. Yeah. Is that the um, the flooding of the tube station,
3: or is that halfway? That's part of it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and Vanessa Redgrave. <gasps> Amazing yeah. scene. Yeah. Let me have a think. if okay. I've got a better one.
2: I mean, I love Atonement.
3: Yeah, I really enjoy that. that
2: film. Yeah. Uh, where can people find you?
3: Oh, uh, you can find me on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, my handle, embarrassingly, is the Simon Haynes, H A R, official. I know, I know. Someone told me that was what you should do on Instagram. I was like, okay, fine.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we will also link to your socials oh. in our show notes. Well, okay, we, will, we have come to the end of another episode of That Final Scene. If you're a new listener, hi. We're so glad we're here. Make sure you subscribe to our show wherever you're listening. We've got episodes on everything everywhere all at once and Top Gun mothering. So check this uh, out. And before we go, we have one favor to ask. If you enjoyed this episode, please give our show a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It It helps our show quite a lot. And it's also a nice boost for us. So thanks for listening. We will be back in two weeks with... The Sixth Sense, Ooh. featuring the incredible, legendary, much loved Bruce Willis. We will right. catch you next time. Goodbye.
0: Did you like it? Did you like that? Did I like it? I loved it.
2: I, I had no idea you could milk a cat.
0: I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk me? Good morning.
2: Morning. Good morning.
0: Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon,
3: good evening, and good night.